Hi, everyone. Welcome to Sobriety Core Podcast, a collection of stories from people who happen to be sober. I'm your host, Kim Palumbo. Hi, everyone. In this episode, I'm excited to chat with Emily Redondo. Uh, Welcome, Emily. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. All right, let's jump right in. Emily, who are you? Um, I, the, I guess I would just answer that question that, I mean, I'm just Emily. It's weird because I was at, I remember specifically being asked that question. I think it was my fifth rehab that I was at out in California. I had a therapist ask me that same question. I remember just being so low and just hating myself. And my answer to her was, you know, I don't know. I guess I'm a mother, a wife, and a drunk, and and Mm. that's it. And I just remember feeling like me, Emily, was just nowhere in sight. So, you know, who I am today, I'm I'm just me. And I think that I'm, you know, constantly evolving and and becoming something and someone i don't i don't know what that actually is going to be or look like and i'm not really worried about it cuz i just i get along with myself now we don't fight so much so that's that's kind of my answer for that one i love how you put that i get along with myself now mhm so much of this is I, I think in my own struggle with addiction is about my relationship with, with just Kim, you know, it's definitely so much of this, I think is about how do we understand ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so I really, I really respect that. What brought you to sobriety? I have gotten sober several times. My issue was staying sober. So the first time that I got sober was in 2002 and I was a single mother. I was in the depths of alcoholism. I was full of emptiness and lonely despair and I was trapped in the cycle of addiction and I couldn't get out. My, I, my mother is sober. She's been sober for 29 years. Kind of, uh, I knew there was a solution and um, I wanted a better life for me and for my daughter. And I did not want to continue down the road. I sought out sobriety. You know, I guess at the time that I would have been considered sort of a high bottom drunk. I hadn't lost a whole lot. Um, I hadn't had a lot of horrible consequences at the time. I did have a relapse after about a year and a half, got back into sobriety and stayed sober for several years. The next, you know, period of time over, over, about six years, um, it was a completely different situation. I had a family. I had several children, um, three and then a fourth, a husband who was um, also in recovery. I relapsed and, and I had an extremely hard time getting sober. Each time I wanted sobriety just as, just as badly as the next. Every time what brought me to sobriety was basically life or death. You know, it's, it's pretty much the question of, do I want to live or do I want to die? That's, that's what kind of an alcoholic I am. Mm. 
my drinking will progress until I kill myself or, you know, a, a consequence kills somebody else and I have to stop. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that is what is in my future. And I know that without question. This last time I got sober, I was right there. And I knew that I was out of chances. You know, the first time I came in, life didn't look so bad. And I had never been to rehab. I had never been to jail. I'd never gotten a DUI. You know, I'd never blown up relationships or anything like that. And, you know, this last time I got sober, I experienced all those things. I've been to rehab seven times. I've been to detox centers, um, IOPs, PHPs counselings, psych hospitals, all those types of things. I've been to jail. I've gotten a DUI. I even had a felony child abuse charge because one of my kids was in the car at the time that I got the DUI. I've lost friendships and, you know, just the, the shame of what I had done to myself and who I had become was continually leading me back to another drink. Like I, I could not handle the clarity of sobriety with who I had become, but I didn't want to die. And so I, I tried one more time and I put all the cards on the table, you know, thank God I haven't had a drink since. I'm so glad. Mm-hmm. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> but I also think that this clarity of sobriety is is a really scary place too. You have to face so many things in sobriety that we hide I from. I mean, we, you, yeah, we have to face everything. Right, fair. You know, the biggest thing for me was, it's scary. Not only do we have to face it, but we have to feel it. Mm. And I think there were times where I thought my feelings were going to kill me whether it be anger or um, grief, shame, despair. I mean, whatever, just overwhelming feelings. And I think one of the scariest things is, you know, nobody can do this for me. Yeah. And I think that kind of comes into, you know, the next question that you have for me about how do I stay sober. I never was completely cut off from support when I was in my darkest time. I think we cut ourselves off from support. Mm-hmm. That, that's, that's well put. I isolated. You know, I, I've been married for 15 years from a man who is um, in recovery and he has never had a relapse when we got married, I was in sobriety. He was with me through all of this nightmare. And my God, he must really love me. I'm telling you, but, and he has never seen me take a drink of alcohol. That's what kind of a sneaky, sneaky ass alcoholic I was. I'm not saying that he never saw me drunk. I'm saying that he never saw me drink. You know, my family offered me so much support. Um, My treatment teams offered me so much support. If I wanted 
to find support in sober communities, I definitely could have done that. But I will still have moments where I am alone. And what am I going to do then? What am I going to do when I am by myself, driving in my car, and I'm in some sort of an emotional state that just sneaks up on me? And I don't want to feel that way. And I don't want to, you know, I mean, what, what am I going to do? Because I come from a long line of alcoholics. I come from a long line of addictions. That's kind of my default setting. Mm. So what's going to keep me from turning into that parking lot? to turn it, to walk into that store and grab something, you know, because sometimes I'm sorry, but I don't want to pick up the phone. Right. <laughs> I just don't. And I am not the only one. I mean, social media is great, but it's not a hundred percent reality, you know? Definitely not. So I really needed to find something to take with me everywhere I went. And I damn sure was not happy with myself. I couldn't stand myself. You know, it was, it was literally starting completely over with everything. So it was, it was a long journey over these past three years, but I really didn't feel like I had any other option because I had tried everything else. You know what I mean? Um, definitely. Um, so when you're in the car, in the moment, what keeps you from, what is the thing? Well, or one I, will, of the I will say that, you know, now I don't even think about drinking. I guess maybe like when a commercial comes on and like this time of year, I, I see it, you know, but I don't think about myself taking a drink like I did in the beginning. Remember this one time I was driving on the highway and it was at night and I was on the phone with my husband and I have no idea what the topic was, but we were having some sort of an argument over something and we were completely on different lanes of communication. Like he didn't feel like I was hearing him. I didn't feel like he was hearing me. I was so incredibly frustrated. I just wanted to get off the phone with him and I didn't want to go home. I didn't want to deal with him. I'm guessing I had about six months of sobriety and I hung up the phone and the first thought that popped into my head was, this is how I feel when I want to drink. This is what makes, this is what I feel like when I want to just say, excuse me for saying this, but fuck it and just go drink sure. because I can't, I, I'm just, it's just this like overwhelming frustration thing for that time in that car at that moment, I said that out loud in my car. And I, for whatever reason, I didn't feel alone. Like I felt like I was talking to someone. I wasn't talking to me. Okay. So, I mean, I was just, it was very weird. It's like, I started on this recovery sobriety journey about, I don't know what is, I guess like 18, 17 years ago, something because I've really battled with, with relapses for about six years. 
I knew a lot of people, like all of our friends and all of our, you know, with the exception of maybe a handful are in sobriety. Mm-hmm. That's just the way that our, our life is set up. And everybody had something to offer me, to tell me how to do it, what to do, what to believe in, all this kind of stuff. It was a lot of chatter in my head, <sighs> a lot. I started out, and this is pretty, um, it sounds a lot more like dramatic than it really is, but when I got out of the, my seventh rehab, I had so many different directions and so much information and knowledge and feedback and advice in my head that I really had to simplify things. The first thing that I did is I sort of made a, um, like a declaration to my higher power that, you know, I'm just firing him. And so I, I fired God. And I, I told him this and I said, you know, we just need to start over completely because clearly I'm not using you. I don't even know you. So why would I rely on you for anything? I just started like having conversations. I think we always have a dialogue going on in our head. And I just changed the dialogue from like talking to myself to talking to something else. And when I was in the car that night, and I said that out loud, I felt like God was in the car with me. And some people are going to hear that and it's going to make them uncomfortable. And I get that completely. So I really don't talk about the G-O-D word very often because, you know, when I first was getting sober, I didn't want to hear it either until I realized that I can make this, this God however I want it. However I want him to look, that's how he's going to look. I just kind of grew on it from there. So that when I do get to that parking lot or I am feeling overwhelmed, I feel like I have someone who's got their hand on my back. And it's, it's like a wingman. It's not like an authority. It's just like, eh, let's not. Emily, come on, let's not. You know, it's just like, it's nothing like, I believed when I was in eighth grade. Let's just say that. Similar to how I, how I got to, to like myself. I had to forgive myself, but I'm not going to forgive anybody that I can't stand. I have, to, I have to kind of like get to understand this person and get to know them. And then, you know what? Okay, yeah, you know what? I do forgive you. I do understand and I see your point. Hmm. And I think that's where compassion kind of comes in. Yes. Um, Yourself. Yeah. So for how I stay, you know, I ask God to help me every day. I help, I ask him to help me keep my mouth shut where I should keep it shut. I ask him to help me see what I'm supposed to see, hear what I'm supposed to hear. And I, I kind of just keep it, keep it simple. I love that. I work on honesty and not the pretty kind of on that's like fluffy quotes and fun stuff, but also the messy kind, which is being willing to listen when, even if it's me that wants to be heard, stay involved. I work a program and I help others and I, I volunteer on committees and stuff like that. So I keep, 
you know, I keep my feet firmly in, um, in my recovery. What would you say to your drinking self if you could say something? Well, we've, we've already talked. We've talked a lot, actually. I would say that um, I forgive you. I understand her, which took a lot of time. I had to go all the way back, all the way back. You know, she was sick and she was lost. You know, I found compassion for the woman that I used to be. I know that woman was a terrible mother there for a while. And I will always carry that. She, you know, she hurt other people, including herself. But I would say, you know, keep trying that you're worth it and that it will happen, that it will happen. And, you know, I'd also, I guess I'd also say, you know, that voice inside of you that you can barely hear anymore is real. Mm. You're in there and that you can get out. I love that. That's beautiful. It sounds like you have talked to her a lot. <laughs> yeah. That's so beautiful. That's I think we, I think we have to, tiny voice, yeah. you know? I think we have to face who we were to hold on to what we have. Hmm. Yeah. It's hard to move forward when, without really making amends with the past, it, whatever amends, you know, means to you or making sense, if, if that is a better term. Yeah. And, you know, the, the concept of like the past is the past, move on, you know, I just, I think that's, I think that's bullshit, actually. I think that we're going to carry our past with us until we, we look at it. You know, I kind of say name it, claim it and dump it, you know, like look at it for what it is deal with it and then move on. Right. You've talked a little bit about shame. Um, but what is the relationship between pride and shame in your journey and how has that changed over time? Well, in the, in the beginning, I, I had no idea they were even related. There's this saying that you can't read the label on the jar when you're in it. I like that. I've never heard that. That's definitely so relevant to me because a lot of things that involved me, whether I was, you know, I didn't have to be drinking to be acting like an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's basically the same coin, just different sides. I would swing from one to the other, flip from one to the other, you know, kind of based on my insecurities and, and fear in the moment or in my environment, you know, fear that you wouldn't like me or that you wouldn't accept me, fear that I wasn't going to fit in or that I was going to say something stupid or I felt in, inferior to somebody. So I would kind of have to talk myself up or I felt threatened by somebody so I felt totally small and childlike almost. And then, you know, shame, shame killed me. Shame crippled me. Shame was the devil for me, big time. I would not be here today if I didn't figure that out, how to get rid of shame. 
because I, I ruined everything that was given to me because of shame. I would get sober, even, even this time in sobriety, in the beginning. I have a son who I found out I was pregnant with him in a detox institution. And um, he's my youngest. I was so, so sick and um, depressed. We had just moved to a, to a new city. It was just awful. I call it my blue period because I hate to even, you know, like have to put myself back there. But um, I did not stay sober while I was pregnant with him. And I, you know, I just want to take that back so bad. And I, I can't. But when I got sober, I would ruin wonderful moments that he didn't even know about because of my own shame. Like we would be playing and he would be having a good time. And in my head, I'm thinking like morbid flashbacks of like, just what a shitty mother I was. And he would look at me and, you know, he's like in kindergarten, he's like, what's wrong, mom? You know, now he's concerned about me instead of having a good time. Like, why, why are you upset, mom? And, you know, kids are so intuitive. They just can tell stuff. And um, he came to visit me one time. I love to tell the story, but he came to visit me one time at this last rehab that I was at. And I tried to spend, I was like a professional at how to do rehab by my seventh one. So like we, I have four kids. So we, I tried to divide my time up. So I got one-on-one time with each kid. And during my one-on-one time with Spencer, we were sitting there and he's kind of playing in the rocks. He was five and he's telling me this story. I, you know, I wasn't there to know what he was doing in school and I'm just staring at him. I'm not even listening to what he's telling me. And I just blurt out, I miss you so much. And he stops what he's saying and he looks at me like I'm an idiot. And he, mom, I'm right here. Hmm. And it was so, it was just so perfect for me to hear because there I was you know, in his mind, like he's just sitting there with his mom. Right. And in my mind, I'm drawing all this stuff up. Right. You're, you're and ruining what I've got. Mm -hmm. And it was basically like, I am out of time for this BS. Mm -hmm. I cannot keep carrying this around. And you know what? I asked for help with it. I got to tell you, I prayed my butt off because I couldn't, the shame was too big. Every time I laid down, every time I closed my eyes, every time I had a minute to think, I was drowning in this shame. And I asked God to help me. And when I was about nine months sober, I was at a Starbucks waiting for a friend and I had some free time and I just sat there and I was so used to having these like haunting thoughts come up. And all of a sudden, like none of them came up. And I noticed it hmm. and I all, I was like, honestly sitting there like, well, wait a minute, let me think of one. And I tried to like think of something 
to like conjure up that feeling of just awfulness because I'm so used to it. I felt kind of weird and I couldn't think of anything. And from that moment on, like, I don't feel that heaviness of shame. You know, it doesn't mean that, you know, there's this difference in my mind between remorse and regret. You know, remorse is like, in my head, it's debilitating. It's just like heavy and just, you know, I can't move forward. And it. it's just, it, it cripples me. It, I mean, it's stagnant and just makes me sit there and wallow in it. And that's where shame creeps in. I don't have that today. I have regrets. Of course I have regrets, like crazy. But I don't, I don't live in it. You know, I live like I want to soak up every single second I have left in my life. I've wasted so much. You know, I mean, everywhere I go, like I live, I live it up. Because hmm. why not? You know, once, once I have this relationship with God, who's like, you know what, Emily, you're fine. You're okay. You're a work in progress. Great. Let's go do this. And then I have a relationship with myself. Like, I don't want to say I don't care what people think, but I don't worry about it the relationship that I have today with pride and shame is I try to live right in the middle. They're both dangerous places. They're equally dangerous. You know, I am no better than anyone. And I've proved that to myself. You know, I thought I was big hot shit in sobriety when I had it there for a while, you know? Right. I had a beautiful family. I had great tools and all that kind of stuff. And I blew my life up big time. You know, I don't know what's best for anybody. I have my experience that I'm happy to talk about and share, but I, I think it's dangerous to tread where like, we don't know the whole story. You know, everybody kind of, no one owns my sobriety. It's, it's like between me and God, and we're doing a good job. Now, I use a lot of different methods, so to speak, to, to help facilitate that. But this whole idea that it's got to be this way, or so-and-so's way, or this person's way, or take this class, or sign up for this, or do this, or go to this, you know, I think that's, I think that's dangerous. Yeah, I really do. Because I think that's where people get judgmental. I think that's where compassion kind of creeps in. Um, or I'm sorry, lack of compassion creeps in. And we lose sight of what, what the goal really is. And that's just for people to, to get the same thing we want. Right. I love that story about your son. I know, he's so cute. He's it's so amazing sweet. how aligning a child's perspective can be in these situations. I have a six-year-old and he asked me something. He asked me uh, early on what was wrong with me, you know, mm -hmm. and, and explaining it to his little six-year-old brain is, continues to be 
such an aligning moment for me personally about mm-hmm. motivation and the why behind recovery. <clears throat> right. So it's it's really amazing when when they just say they, just the thing that you need to hear in that moment, right? Mommy, I'm right here. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like come back to earth, mommy. This is the moment that matters right now. <laughs> right. Talk about grounding. Yeah. yeah. Right. Definitely. Um, that's so beautiful. What is one question that you wish that I would ask you about or, or someone would ask you about yourself or your sobriety? I think I would want somebody to ask me why I call myself an alcoholic. That's a great question. Um, because, because I see, a, I, the only reason I say that is because I see a lot of it, you know, there's different kind of hot talks that come up on social media, which in, in my real life aren't topics at all. And then I see them come up and, you know, cause some kind of whatever, but I, I just find it confusing why it's a thing, but I call myself an alcoholic because, and again, this is just for me. And I think that's why I try to not get involved in other things because, um, or I'm sorry, other, and I don't want to debate it because I think everybody has a right to do and say what they want to say. I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't want to want to be able to like say what I want to say, but not let you say what you want to say. So but I call myself an alcoholic because I am without a doubt an alcoholic and I always will be an alcoholic period. Um, I have been in wonderful places of recovery and I'm in a wonderful place of recovery. Um, I am pretty sure that my life has never been as good as it is right now, but I don't say I'm recovered. And I do say I'm an alcoholic. Part of the reason is because if I picked up a drink, I know exactly what would happen because I've done it about a dozen times and I've experienced the, uh, the worst of the worst. And I don't question it. Like there's no, well, maybe this time, maybe this, da, da, da. I mean, there's, it's done. It is done. The research is over. I know. Yeah. So there's that. The other thing is like alcoholic is not a dirty word. It's, it's not a negative word around my house. I don't cringe when I say it. I don't think of a bum under a bridge with a paper bag, nor do any of my kids. It's just a disease that I have. It's just something that I, that I have. And I don't need any sort of other, I also don't, you know, I'm in, I'm recovering. I'm not recovered. I'm recovered from feeling like I have no hope and that I'm in a dark and dismal place and my body doesn't crave alcohol and I don't think about it all day long and I don't have to work at not getting my car to drive into parking lots anymore and I don't wake up hearing voices coming out of the wall you know that kind of thing so I recovered from from those effects but I think I think 
on some level, we want the stigma to change about addiction on many levels, on many levels, even from, you know, the perspective of, you know, way up through, through government platforms and representation and, you know, what we're going to do about the opioid problem and epidemic with that and, you know, moms drinking wine, which was me, you know, and how we, we laugh about that, you know, just all these different things. And yet we don't want to use the word alcoholism and we don't want to use the word alcoholic. Well, the stigma is not going to change unless we start using that word. I mean, yeah, that's, I think that's a really important point. You know, people's perspective of what an alcoholic is, is going to continue to be the, the brown paper bag person, homeless person under the bridge, unless we start saying, hey, I'm an alcoholic and I live in a nice neighborhood and I have a good life and I don't drink anymore, but you should see what I've been through. But look, there's hope. You know, I mean, there's a story to tell. I have moms who know I'm an alcoholic, who do not have drinking problems, who live in my neighborhood. You know, they reach out to me about their family members, about friends that they have, as someone just to talk to about the topic. Mm-hmm. And I think that's great. And that's because you've, you've been open. But, you know, feel the need to say that I have alcohol use disorder. I do, but I mean, that's what I have, but I don't, I don't feel the need to do it. The word alcoholic and alcoholism are not going to drop off the face of the earth. Not in my lifetime. They're not. That's one of the questions. And how do you have so much fun in sobriety? That's another good question. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, as you said, social media is, is just, you know, is only a very, very small sliver of someone, but you, you, have been someone who has demonstrated a lot of joy and been open about your joy. And it's been really encouraging for me. And so I love that. You know, you've been, you've been open about, about just, just to have fun, just because we're just because we're here and why wouldn't we? And so um, that's been very encouraging. And so your joy is like apparent. Oh, I love hearing that. Thank you so much. This has been lovely. Thank you for your time. Um, I so appreciate it. And uh, I wish you well. Oh, I wish you well too. Thank you so much. As always, I want to interview you. Drop a line at SobrietyCore on Instagram or visit www.sobrietycore.com to tell your story. That's www.sobrietycorps.com. Look for our next episode in about a week where we get to hear from a human behind an Instagram handle. Until then, be well.